kids one more time. Isn't that awesome? Woo! Hosanna. Man. That's kind of fun playing that air guitar at church. I might have to do that during worship some. I like that. That was great. Welcome to Grace Church again. Welcome to Easter Sunday. It's so great to have you here. I know many of you here were for the Easter egg hunt in between services. And and uh, Plan B worked out great. The kids had, we had, we had 5,000 eggs. That's a lot of eggs. These kids were like carrying them out in wheelbarrows or something. Like, I mean, they had a blast. It was just so great. So glad you're here today and uh, just excited about what the Lord's going to do. This, my, my sermon this morning is going to be different than any other, any other Easter message I've ever preached before, and it'll probably be different than any Easter message I'll ever preach again. Um, you could say for us pastors, Easter is supposed to be a big day, okay? I'll just let you in on this. They, uh, they say that for pastors, Easter Sunday is like the Super Bowl, okay? So if you're ever really going to bring a great sermon, today is the day. Today's the day, right? Today's the day you're supposed to preach your heart out. It's supposed to be awesome. Today is that day. Well, um, if you're our guest here this morning, and let me bring you up to speed about what's going on in, in my life and in my family's life. Uh, my wife, Heather, of tw- be 22 years in June, a few weeks ago, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And this week, uh, she went through a mastectomy. And I have to be honest with you, it's been one of the most difficult weeks. It's been the most difficult week of her life, and, and of, in some aspects, mine as well. It's been really, really tough. Now, it's been some great ups and downs. The, the doctor said the, surgery couldn't, the surgeon said it couldn't have gone better. It went great. Uh, they got the tumor. They, they got it. We're thankful for it. There's a lot of great things that happened, but there's also just a really, really, really rough week. Now, I mean, it's an honor. I can tell you, it is an honor to be able to serve your spouse. Maybe I'll serve my wife and almost 24-7 this last week, just to be able to love her and care for her and comfort her and but it hurts, you know, when you see somebody you love in so much pain and going through so much, not just with the physical aspect of the surgery, but everything else that's involved. And, you know, you smell, you celebrate small victories like, like eating, like going to the bathroom and going to sleep. You know, it's, it begins to be in those little things in life that really matter. And, and it, but it's been a hard, it's been a long week. And I knew Easter was coming. You know, it's, it comes every year. I knew it was coming. And I began to try to prepare earlier in the week. I was going over Easter passages in my mind, praying, thinking, but it came to last night, and I'll just be honest with you guys, I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything. I just, I didn't have anything, just nothing. The well was empty. The tank was empty. It's been a hard, hard week. I was worn out, and I didn't have a thing. And so I do what any good pastor does. I printed off all my old Easter sermons. <laughs> And I looked through them, and I thought, well, I don't remember any of these, so if I don't remember any of these, surely you don't remember any of them. And so I thought, well, I could preach one of these, but it just didn't fit. It just wasn't, wasn't the way to do it. So even, even up until last night at 10 o'clock, I just, just in my home office, I had my computer open, a blank screen, and I just began to pour my heart out to the Lord and just say, Jesus, I got nothing. I don't know what I'm going to say in the morning. I'm, I've never, it's never been so dark. It's never been so difficult. It's never been more. I've never been here before. This is, this is, this is just, it's bad. And I don't, I don't have anything to give, Lord. I'm just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And Jesus spoke to my heart. He just, 
He just, in just the way the Lord does, he said, Jay, now you really understand how my disciples encountered the very first Easter, the very first Resurrection Sunday, that I was in the place that they were at. And I've never walked into an Easter like this before. You know, the disciples didn't put, they hadn't laid out their Sunday best, right? They hadn't prepared for an egg hunt the next day. They weren't meeting family for lunch. It was the darkest moment of their life. It was one of the most difficult moments of their life. They were full of questions. They were full of, they had more questions than they had answers. They, they were, they were, it was a dark place. It was a depressing place. It was a scary place for them. Their leader had just been, had just been executed. They didn't know if they were next. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know. They didn't know what we know now on this side of Easter. And we forget about that. We come in with joy and celebration, but the, the, the first disciples did not have that type of experience. And so last night I was able to understand the resurrection story from probably the most realistic and best place that I ever have. And so as I began to reread the story again and again, really there was one disciple that really stuck out to me. There was one person that I really resonated with and that I really connected with. And so he's not talked about a lot in the Easter story, but I want to talk about Thomas this morning. Thomas. He's been labeled doubting Thomas. He's been labeled the skeptic. He's been labeled the one that's full of questions, the one that had doubt, the one that wouldn't believe until he saw and, and, and that's how history, that's how the church has treated Thomas. And so as I began to look at Thomas, even last night, I began to have a fresh understanding of who he is and of his role in Scripture. Do you know that Thomas is only mentioned three times, other than just the list of the disciples when they're called? There's only three times when Thomas is mentioned in all the Bible. And, and, it's, and John is the only one that, that, that tells us about Thomas. And so this morning, we're going to look at the three accounts of Thomas, and we're going to have a Doubting Thomas kind of Easter this year, but I believe it's going to encourage you. Will you turn your Bibles to um, John chapter 11? John chapter 11, and if you don't have a Bible with you, some of the scriptures we'll have on a screen. You can download our app, Grace Church, Grace Springfield, in the marketer in the app store, and there's a Bible in there. I want to start with the story of Lazarus. This is a, it's almost time we're about to enter into the last week of, of Christ's earthly ministry of his life here on earth. Uh, things are starting to really pick up. They move, they go to Bethany. Uh, they're moving towards Jerusalem. Uh, we know that, um, Lazarus got sick. Close friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha, his sisters, had called Jesus, said, Jesus, our brother's sick. We need you to come. And Jesus said, he told his disciples, he goes, this sickness isn't going to lead to death. God is going to be glorified through this, but Lazarus dies. And when he dies, they, when Jesus hears that he dies, that's when they decide. That's when Jesus decides to show up. When it seems like it's too late. Have you ever seen Jesus do that in your life? That it seems like he shows up when it seems like it's too late? When it seems like things have gone too far? That's when he shows up. Well, that's what he did. That's what he did to them. And then he says something. He says, let's go. Let's go now there to Judea, which is the location, the district, the area where where they were going in Bethany. And, and they knew that the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, were trying to capture him. They knew he was trying to, to, um, 
to, to take him out, to quiet him. They hadn't been able to do it any other way, so they were, gonna, they were formulating a strategy to, to kill him. And his disciples say that, say, if you go, you go to near Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And, and this is what Thomas says. In chapter 11, verse 16, it says, and then Thomas called Didymus, it says, there are two names, one was Aramaic, one was Greek, it stood for twin, um, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. And we may die with him that Jesus um, hadn't even necessarily invited them. He said, this is where I'm going, this is what I'm going to do. And they're like, you're going to get killed if you show up there. And, and I had previously, I'd previously read this passage like uh, Thomas was kind of like uh, Eeyore, right? You know, the donkey from Winnie Pooh of, well, I guess Jesus is going to die. Well, I guess we just go die with Jesus. But I read it differently last night. I did. I read it differently. I read a man full of faith and full of courage that Jesus may die, but I'm going to go with him, that I'm going to follow my Savior to the very end, no matter what else happens, no matter what else occurs, that I'm going to stay with Jesus, and I'm going to go with Jesus to the very end. That is the picture of Thomas. We see the second story of Thomas in John 14. You can turn in your Bibles or scroll down in your Bibles to John 14. This passage in John is the is the, the what we call the Last Supper. It's where they've celebrated the Passover meal. Uh, they've partaken of the bread, uh, the wine. He's instituted the new covenant. Uh, he's, he's 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 downloading into them what's what's on his heart. It's his last evening with them. It's his last moments with them. He is he's here with them. He's pouring out himself to them. And there's a series of questions and answers that are going on a back and forth as he is uh, explaining, trying to explain what's going on. He served them. He's washed their feet. He's poured himself out to them. And if we back up just a just a little bit, um, we back up just a little bit into chapter 13. He begins to tell them um, about that he's going to be glorified, that he's going to be leaving. Um, where I'm going, you can't go right now. He's telling them that he's leaving. He has a command for them to love one another. That's how the world are going to know that we're his disciples is by the love that we have for each other. And Simon Peter, verse 36, goes, well, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, he said, well, I'm going. You cannot follow now, but later you will. And so Peter asked him again, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And, and Jesus goes, really? Will you really? You know, he goes, reality is I tell you the truth. By the time the, the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times, is what he says to Peter. And then Jesus gives us a passage And John 14, that is such a powerful passage that resonates in our hearts, that encourages us in difficult times, appointments of loss, and is a great verse for Easter Sunday. Chapter 14 says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Some of you here this morning, you need to not let your heart be troubled. Things of this world will give you trouble. They'll try to trouble your heart, but the message from the Lord this morning is, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then he goes to tell us, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He goes, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back, and I will come back to receive you. I will come back and take you to be with me so you may be where I am and that you may know the way to the place where I am going. You may know the place to where I am going. And then... Thomas says this in verse, in verse 5. Thomas says, Lord, we don't actually know where you're going, so how can we know the way? 
And I love that about Thomas. He didn't know. He didn't understand what Jesus was trying to explain. He didn't get it. He didn't fake it. He didn't act like he understood. He didn't just go. He said, wait. He said, I don't, I don't understand. What are you talking about here? He, he brought his questions to Jesus. Let me share with you this morning that you can bring your questions to Jesus. Jesus can handle your questions. He can handle them. And, when, and some may call you a, a skeptic. Some may, other people may have labeled you whatever people may want to label you. Um, but you're here this morning, and you may even be asking yourself, you may be thinking even skeptical thoughts about Jesus himself. Ask Jesus, who are you? Where are you going? What are you doing? Show yourself. Reveal yourself to me. And watch and see what he does. Jesus didn't turn Thomas down. He didn't chastise him. He answered him. Jesus answered. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I'm the way of the Lord. I'm the way that this happens. I am the truth. I'm not just an understanding of absolutes. I, my very self, am truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, that there's life in Jesus. Everything is found in him. He begins to explain this to Thomas. And he goes, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that it's all about relationship. And if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And you, and you have seen him. And then we find... So we find Thomas, first of all, is one who's a risk taker. He's willing to go for it in Jesus, just follow Jesus anywhere. Then we see Thomas as one who asks questions. He's a question asker. And then, for the purposes of Easter morning, we really get some great insight into Thomas, into who he is, into how he is, and how this interacts with the resurrection story. And we don't have all of this on the screen, but if you follow in your Bibles or on the app, I'm just going to read the account of John chapter 20. John's account of what happened on Resurrection Sunday. Then begin in verse 1 of chapter 20. And it says, early on the first day of the week, which the first day of the week was Sunday, what we call Sunday, the, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, called it the first day of the week. And so on the first day of the week, which for us is Sunday, while it was still dark, early, early in the morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, why was she going to the tomb? Well, the reason she was going to the tomb is because late on Friday, uh, they were burying Jesus or putting him in the tomb. It had to happen before the sun went down, before the Sabbath started. And so as they were doing this, the two guys were preparing the body of Jesus. And I believe Mary, and I believe in the, the other lady that was with her, I believe they thought, man, those guys didn't do it right. And so the ladies had to go fix what the guys didn't do right. This is how I see it. I think they're trying to fix it. And so they went to finish what the guys had started on Friday. And so she came, but the stone is gone. She shows up to the tomb, and the stone is removed. The stone isn't there. She freaks out. What's going on? Who has stolen the body of Jesus? And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And do you know who that disciple was? That was John. That was the author of this book. It's interesting, isn't it? He calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. And so he, he mentions that, and he says, and they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. We don't know where he is. And so Peter and the other disciple, John, the one who wrote this, they, they started 
they started for the tomb, and both were running. Catch this. I love it. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John wanted all of us to know that he was faster than Peter. He wanted us to know that he could beat Peter. I mean, they're just guys, right? He wanted us to know he could outrun Peter. And so they reached the tomb first. He bent over. So John bends over. He looks into the strips of linen laying there. He peered in, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. I mean, I, I just see this in my mind. John beats him. He gets to the edge. He's looking in. Peter runs up behind him, hits him, but kind of pushes him away to the side, and he rushes right into the tomb. That's how Peter is, right? He's the one to jump on the water, to, to walk on the water, right? He's the one to just speak up. He's the one to pass John and go right into the, right into the tomb. Uh, he was the one who would have declared what it looked like, but John wanted everybody to know, hey, I got there first. But so, so Peter goes in and he gives us, we see the account of what, what he saw. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as a burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. It was like Jesus sat up and the clothes came off and he unwrapped this. And he rose. So he, if you're going to steal a body, right, you wouldn't undress it first, right? You would have taken the whole thing because that just would have perpetuated the myth that he would have been resurrected. So it wasn't a conspiracy theory. It really, really happened. Over 500 witnesses eventually ended up seeing him in a resurrected form, in a resurrected form. And so, and so the cloth was folded up separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple... And in case anybody was wondering who had reached the tomb first, he mentions it a second time, also went inside. He saw and he believed. He believed. And he says, they, but they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They didn't understand it all yet. Isn't it beautiful to see people that follow Jesus, that are giving everything to Jesus, are serving him, yet they don't have it all figured out yet? Anybody else there with them? We don't have to have it all figured out to just continue to say yes to Jesus and continue to follow him. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she'd been over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying he says, they have taken my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She wanted, she wanted to mourn him. She was in shock. He had, she thought he had been stolen. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And we'll see why in a little bit, a little bit into picture of why this would be. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get to him. And Jesus said to her, he only said, simply said, Mary. And when she heard her name, when she heard Jesus speak her name, she knew who he was. She knew who he was. Jesus simply called her name. Friends, there's many of you here today, and Jesus is calling your name. Whatever your name might be, John, David, Becky, Stephanie, whatever your name might be, Jesus is speaking your name today. He is calling you by name today. 
And as he's calling you by name, respond to him as Mary did. Respond as she did. In verse 16, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. We would call it rabbi. She says, teacher. And Jesus says, she, she reaches for him. She wants to hug him. She wants to embrace him. He's like, whoa, not yet. This is, explains some of why he looked different. Don't hold on to me yet, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And so now it's Sunday, late morning. She's gone to the disciples. She's told them all that's happened. Peter and John have said, yeah, the tomb's empty. They haven't figured everything out yet. They're, they're just reeling. They're just, she's told all the disciples what's going on. Because it says she told the disciples. All, all, well, Judas isn't. He's not in the game right now. But the other 11, she's... She's told them what's going on. And then we see in verse 19, on the eve of that first day of the week, that Sunday night, Resurrection Sunday, when the disciples were together, they got together. They probably ate together. They were talking together. They were, they were stunned. They were shocked. They were trying to figure out what's going on. They locked the doors for fear of the Jews the Jews had just, the religious leaders had just executed their leader. They didn't know if they were, who was coming for them next, right? They didn't know what was going to happen. There was fear, there was anxiety, there was worry. And so they're, they're holed up in this room trying to sort things out. And Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up at their darkest moment. This time where they don't know what's happening, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to go, they don't know what's true, they don't know what's not true, they don't know up from down, they don't know anything. And Jesus shows up. Anybody else you're thankful Jesus shows up at times like that? And the doors were locked, but that didn't stop him. He just went right through. He just went right on through. And he says, peace be with you. Shalom, the peace of God, the blessing of God, the satisfaction of God, the wholeness of life, the wholeness of God, may it be upon you. And after he said this, he said, he showed them. He showed them his hands, his feet, his side. He showed them what had happened. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They're overjoyed. They were ecstatic when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He had already told them earlier. He goes, the peace I give to you is not like the peace of the world. He goes, I have a different kind of peace that I give you. And once again, he was giving them this peace, this understanding that everything was going to be okay. And as the Father has sent me, he said, I am sending you. That even at the very beginning of his resurrection, the very beginning of the revelation of who he is as a resurrected Christ, that the missionary call to go and to tell others about the resurrected Christ is right here at the very beginning, that he was sending them to go. And with that, he breathed on them. He breathed on them, and and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. The same idea, the same context, the same wording, the Greek to the Hebrew, of Genesis where Jesus or God breathed life into Adam and Eve and they came alive. That here he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. They received the Holy Spirit. And as they did this, he said this. He, he talked to them about forgiving others, not holding offense, but releasing others because it's so important. It's so powerful. 
that if you forgive anyone their sins, then you've released those sins. You've forgiven those. But if not, I like the way the message says it, then what can you do with it? What can, so even the very beginning, he was dealing with offenses or dealing with forgiving those that have wronged us because they had just executed him, right? He was dealing with, they had some people they needed to forgive. In verse 24, here we go. This is the crux of Thomas on Easter Sunday, a, a doubting Thomas kind of Easter. Verse 24, now Thomas called Didymus, right? We already learned about that. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Have you ever been that disciple? Have you ever been that one that just needed to be by themselves? They had all heard the bad news that day. They had all heard what was going on that day. They all collected. Thomas needed some time alone. Are you ever like that? You just need to go be by yourself, process life, process stuff. That's how I was this week. We were at the hospital in the waiting room, and they, they, they willed Heather back to surgery. And those of you that have had loved ones go back to surgery, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a scary deal, isn't it? I mean, if you're in the medical field and you do it all the time, you're used to it. But if not, it's a scary thing. And I remember she went back, and we had like 30 people in the waiting room. It was overwhelming. It was, I mean, overwhelming in a great way. It was so wonderful, so encouraging. But there was a moment where I had to leave. I just had to excuse myself, and I went and I found an empty waiting room, and I just had to be alone, and I just had to cry all by myself for about five or ten minutes. I think that's where Thomas was. I think Thomas just had to be alone. Then later, he was ready to be with people, but sometimes you just need to be alone, don't you? That's where he was. He was alone, but he missed out when Jesus showed up. So Jesus shows up. He's not there, right? Right? And so they come to him. They said, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. We've seen his hands, his side, his feet. It's really him. And he goes, I don't believe it unless I see it. I got to see it to believe it. I really, I have to see it. I got to see it or I don't believe it is, is, is what he said. You know what I find is interesting? Because this is where he gets the, the title, the label Doubting Thomas. He said, I got to see it to believe it. He was only asking to experience what all of them had already experienced. I don't know why we give him that label, but in history he's gotten that label. They had all, in fact, the Greek there, actually a better rendering for instead of doubt is actually it's called a-believing, a-believing. In other words, he wanted to experience Christ, the resurrected Christ in such a way that he would understand that it was really him. He needed that. He wanted that. But he had missed it. And so the story picks up on the next Sunday night, eight days later. We'll we'll pick the story up here. And he goes, I will not believe. He goes, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas said with them, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. It had been a week. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what those eight days were like? From Sunday to Sunday, everybody else talking about Jesus, everybody else talking, when's he going to show up again? Where is he? Talking about this resurrected Christ. And Thomas had known him, but Thomas had not yet experienced him in the full power and understanding of his resurrection. I mean, can you imagine what he would have felt like in those eight days of the conflict, the confusion, what's really going on here? I believe there's some of you here this morning that can identify with this aspect of Thomas. That you're around people that have experienced Jesus. You're around people that talk about the resurrected Christ, but you yourself have not yet experienced him. Friend, today 
is your day. Today is your day to get to know the resurrected Christ. And so this is what happens. A week later, verse 26, they're in the house. Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And again, he says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, he looks at Thomas. Thomas didn't even have time to ask his questions. Thomas didn't even have time to say, let me see your hands and feet. Let me see if it's really you. Jesus knew his questions. Jesus understood his struggle. Jesus understood as what we would call doubt. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus does that for you too. Jesus knows your questions. Jesus knows your struggle. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. And then he says this to him. He goes, put your finger here. He goes, come here, come here. Put your, see, my, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. Start A believing and start believing is how the Greek says it. Wow. That's what Jesus is saying to you today. Come and see. Come and see what I've done for you. Come and see the price that I've paid. Come and see the victory that I have purchased on your behalf. That it is available to you today to live in the power of this resurrection. And Thomas, Thomas in verse 28, he says this. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. It's the first time that the true supremacy, the the understanding that Jesus was the creator God, he was the Lord God, he was the Lord of hosts, that, that he was Lord and God. The first time it was ever exclaimed, the first time it was ever fully, truly demonstrated, that it was ever truly spoken out, that this understanding was declared by Thomas, that he is the one that gets to declare this. How does he get the bad rap? I don't know. He declares, this is the Lord, this is God. And it doesn't say that he even had to touch his hands or his feet. He got it, he understood it. He declared it. He declared that. And then Jesus says this to him. Verse 29, he says, because you have seen me, you've believed. Because you saw, you believed. But then he said this, blessed, my favor, my wholeness, All that I have, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know who that is? That's us. That's us. We haven't yet seen with our eyes. We haven't yet touched with our hands the risen Christ, the risen Savior. Yet we believe. Yet we believe that he really is who he said he is. That he really did what he said he would do. That he made a promise that he kept. That he said that he would come. That God said he would send his son and he did. He sent him in a virgin birth. And he sent him and Jesus raised, he, he grew up and he lived a sinless life. And he died a criminal's death on the cross for you and for I. But death couldn't hold him, right? We sang it earlier. It couldn't keep him down. And he rose from the dead. And he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And it's awesome because Jesus did what he said he would do. He said, destroy this temple. He was talking about himself. He goes, in three days, I'm going to raise it back up. He goes, he did what he said he would do. He kept his promise. 
And because he kept his promise and he rose from the dead, then we know he's going to keep his promise and he's going to come again to get us, that he is making a place for us, that there is eternal life in him. And we know he will keep his promise because he kept his promise. And what does that mean for you and I? It means that we can have forgiveness of sin, that we can give our past to the Lord. He can handle it. He can cover it. He can take all of our sin away. There's not one of us that have done more than what he can take away. When we put our faith and our trust in him, not only does he have the power because he rose from the dead to take away our past, to redeem us from our past, but he gives us the power to handle whatever comes our way today, that there's nothing that can overcome us in Jesus' name. And no weapon formed against us will prosper. That, that, that I can do all things through Christ which gives me strength. That whatever happens, because of the power of the resurrection, Ephesians says it resides in you and I, we can make it. We can do it. We can live this life victorious for Him. And even, even, even as great, greater than that, as we know our future is secure. We know our future is secure in Him. That we have eternal life in Him. Verse 30, John verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. There was too many. There's just too many. But these were written. John wrote these down. John's saying, he's wrapping up here. He's wrapping up his gospel. He's saying, but I wrote these things to you guys. He didn't know how long it would be before Christ returned. He was becoming an old man. And he knew that those that would follow him would need this encouraging story of Thomas. He goes, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. We have the story of Thomas so that we will understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That in believing upon the name of Jesus, that he is the risen Son of God, that we can have eternal life that starts in the here and starts in the now, right here and right now. Amen? Amen. You know, we don't read about Thomas again. Beth, you can come. We don't, we, we don't read about Thomas again. We don't hear about Thomas again. Thomas isn't in the book of Acts. It just seems like Thomas dropped off the face of the earth, out of the pages of the Bible. And what's so very interesting is that Thomas actually followed, according to church history, church tradition, that Thomas actually followed the instructions of Jesus closer than any of the other disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He goes, just as I've been sent, now I'm sending you. And what are the other disciples to do? A bunch of them just hung out in Jerusalem. And, and, and they just hung out there. And then they, this persecution started, so they went out. He raised Paul up. Paul went to the Gentiles. But you know what Thomas did? Church tradition tells us that Thomas left. Thomas took the gospel to what we would call now modern-day Iraq. Modern, then he went to modern-day Iran. And the believers that to this day are worshiping the Lord. And the greatest revival right now in the world is breaking out in Iran. God is moving in Iran. Iranians are coming to Jesus. And the foundation of this the beginnings of this started with Thomas, started with him. And then not only did he, he didn't just stop in Iran, he planted churches there. Then he went on to India. He went to, he went to many parts of India and he took the gospel to India. At the end of his days, he was actually he was thrown in a pit 
and a spear. Church tradition tells us a spear was thrown his way and he was martyred for the gospel's sake. Does that sound like a doubter to you? That doesn't sound like a doubter to me. I want a Thomas kind of Easter. I want to be like Thomas. I want to be one who will follow Jesus wherever Jesus says to go. I want to be one who will ask sincere, real, authentic questions of Jesus. Jesus, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know where you're going, but I want to. Then I want to be like Thomas, who will declare that Jesus, you're my Lord. I want to experience you. You're my Lord. You're my God. And then he was obedient. He was obedient to the words of Jesus and took the gospel to the nations. (laughs) that's Thomas that's a good Easter that's a good good Easter would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning if you're here this morning and you can identify with Thomas you can say I understand Thomas I understand what he was going through I understand I understand him now better than I ever have before. And this morning, right now, I identify with him. If that's you, I, I just want to see your hand. Will you just raise your hand at me and say, say, Jay, that's me. I identify with Thomas this morning. Yeah, I see. Yeah, all over the place. I'm with you. My hands are raised. I'm with you. Lord, I pray for those people, Lord, who have raised their hands and said, yeah, I understand, Thomas. I understand the questions. I understand the doubt. I understand the difficulty. I understand the not going, the not understanding, the, the need to be by myself. The, the, all the things we see about Thomas, Lord, I pray for those, Lord, who are in that moment right now. Lord, I pray you'd reveal yourself to them. Lord, even if they have in a place where you would seem to be locked out, that the doors of their life would be locked. Lord, that you would super you would supersede that lock. Lord, that you would just as you just as you translated through those walls in the book of John, Lord, that you would translate, you would come into each one of our lives, Lord, in such a way, Lord, that you would show yourself as the real and true living God. If that's you today, if you need to understand Him as a true and living God, would you just ask Him right now?